0: Welcome to the Lex City Church podcast. To learn more about the ministries of Lex City, please visit LexCity.Church. Well, welcome to week two of our series that we've called This Is Your Calling. And last week we we spent a little time being reminded that one of the primary focuses of our calling is that we would engage the world who are far from Christ with the wonderful life-changing power of the gospel. We saw Jesus, if you remember, when he called his disciples from the shores, he said, what, He said, come follow me and I will make you fishers of what? Fishers of men. The sense of how do we engage the world that's around us. And we're going to see this, that Jesus did this amazing thing. He took these fishermen who had an understanding of how you attract fish and how you go about the process and says, I want to help you take all the lessons you know about fishing I want to help you apply them to the context of how we fish for the souls of people around us. Now, if you like to fish, you know that's true. You use different techniques and different approaches, depending on what time of the day you're fishing, what kind of fish that you're fishing for. Context really matters, right? New Testament, Sea of Galilee, they fished at night and they fished that day. At nighttime, they would fish with two or three boats together, and they would roll out into the sea, and then they would clang with loud pans and noise to scare the fish, and they would scare them into the big nets that they couldn't see in the evening. Daytime, there was kind of two separate techniques that they would use to fish during the day. One was simply just with a, with a line and a baited hook. In the east, we would call it fly fishing, right? They would just sit out there all day long doing that one. That's what we see in the book of Isaiah. It refers to that kind of fishing. The second technique during the day they would use is probably the technique that when Jesus came along the shore to call his disciples was probably the technique they were using in Mark chapter 4, we're more familiar with, they're wading out into the shallows, right? And they grab their big nets and they cast them out, and then with a long rope they roll them back in, that kind of fishing. Here's what I just want to remind you, fishermen, understand this, context really matters for the approach that you take. And that's what we're really going to see today, that highly contagious Christians have a great understanding of context, a sensitivity to that and understanding the context we're in. So this is week two in the midst of our calling series. We've been really looking at this. Three habits of highly contagious Christians. Today we're going to look at that second habit. Habit one, if you remember from last week, highly contagious Christians develop significant relationships with people who are far from God relationship-based. We'll see that plays in today. Today it builds in habit number two, right? Highly contagious Christians consistently turn conversations towards spiritual matters and share their faith story. And we're going to see this from highly contagious people who tend to have that kind of impact. They adjust based on the context and the fish that are around. So we've got to be discerning is what we're going to see over today. So today context matters. So I'm going to give us two things today. I want to have a conversation that deals a little bit with this. How do people that you and I interact with at school, at work, in our neighborhood, how do people who are far from God, how do they feel about the interactions with us as Christ followers in 2023? You may be surprised on this one. And the second thing, I want to give you some, hopefully a couple of those little keys, ways to help you grow and to be more contagious in sharing your story and sharing your faith. So that's where we're going to go this morning. So if you've got your Bibles, go with me to the chapter, uh, book of Luke, chapter 5. Or if you've got your phones, go to lexcity.info. Again, if you're new here, all the sermon notes are there. I'm going to make reference. All the charts that you're going to see on the screen, uh, they're all there at lexcity.info, so you can have them look at it more. There's some other resources I'll mention a little later, but you'll find all of that again, lexcity.info as you go. Now, this whole city series on your calling, for some of you, like, man, this resonates with you. Like, you're like, come on, Pastor, I don't want three weeks on this. Give us 17 weeks on this, right? Because here's what research says. 52% of practicing Christians, here's what they say, who attend church at least once a month say their faith is important to them, and they strongly agree that they personally have a responsibility to tell others about their religious beliefs. So 52%, speaking to the choir, would say, hey, this is important. So preach on a man. Teach us. Help us to be, right? You're that way as you go. But here's the questions. How do our friends who we are interacting with, how do they feel about those relationships? Let me give you some insight into that. Let me show you this first thing that just reminds us this. Connections with people of no faith and Christians, right? 65% of them would say they know a follower of Christ. 45% out of them would say a Christian they know has talked to them about their faith. All right? So think about that. Here's a couple things that that stick out to me. 65% say they know that you are a person of faith, and yet less than half of us have conversations about faith with the people who already know that we are people of faith. And so less than half of us who say our walk with Jesus is the most important and significant thing in our life Less than half of us actually have conversations with folks about our faith. Now listen, here's what really stuck out with me when I saw this chart. Your friends and spheres of influence and coworkers, they already know that you are a person of faith because of how you live your life, because of your language, because how you deal with relationships, with how you value different things. They already know, and yet over half of us aren't willing to talk about the things that they already know. Do you see a little bit of a disconnect between the reality of what they know about us and what they're experiencing from us? Uh, To me, it was so a reminder that sometimes we're, we're so hesitant to bring up issues of faith with people that we do life with But statistics will say they already know you're a person of faith. Does that make sense? Your lifestyle has already set the table for a conversation about spiritual things because they know you're a spiritual person. Let me take the other group there. It's kind of interesting, though, before we jump on. Now, if you're part of the 40% who have friends who have no clue that you are a follower of Christ... That's another sermon for another time. But if we're doing life with people and they have no clue, like, you go to church? I didn't know that. I know you from Friday night. You know? If that's the case, that's a whole separate issue. But today I want to talk to you, the 65% of you, who your friends know that you're a man or woman of faith. So how do we leverage what our lifestyle and what our care for them and our compassion has already opened a door to do that? First question. What do our friends who are far from God, what are they looking for in spiritual conversations? If you're fishing for men to have, talk about the things that are most important, what are the things that are of interest or are meaningful to them? Let me show you another chart. This is fascinating. 39% of them say, the thing that I'm looking for in a conversation with somebody about spiritual things is this. Listen without judgment. Can I remind you that two truths can coexist? You can be non judgmental and non compromising at the same time. All right? That's really important. It's not a, a um, my integrity is not called in check because I'm not judgmental, because I can be not judgmental and not compromising at the same time. Does that make sense? Second thing, they want us to be honest about their doubts, right? Is the person who's talking to me, are they honest about the doubts they have? Do they struggle with the same thing? Why do good things and bad things happen to really good people? Why is my mother struggling with cancer? Why are my kids? I mean, these are the struggles, just the honesty to say, I, I, I understand. That creates doubt in my heart at different times. Number three, does not force a conclusion. At the end of the conversation, I, they don't feel like I'm trying to move them to a conclusion where they feel forced or manipulated. And the fourth one, that cares about them as a person. All right? So if we look again at those top, let's just look at those top fours. The best environment is what they're saying. To have a conversation about spiritual things is simply this, an environment that's expressed, that's really marked by, right, care and consideration. You should be considerate of me, and I want you to care. And in that, we can have those kind of conversations. Here's a big thought for today. Spiritual conversations cannot be divorced from the relationship in which they occur. I'll give it to you one more time. Spiritual conversations cannot be divorced from the relationship in which they occur. Why week one was so important, we've got to develop significant relationships with people. We've got to care about people, because it's that caring that's going to create the context of a spiritual-based conversation. Jesus models it so well for us over and over in the New Testament. Let me give you one example. Luke chapter five, where we were turned to earlier. Verse 27 says this, "And after this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, "Follow me." And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Verse 29, Levi made him a great feast in his house, and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the tables with them. All right, can you imagine this? So Jesus say, we're going to have a conversation, and dude, we're going to go eat. It's like our guy, we're going to do 400 wings, knock them out, and have a great. Here's the great part. Not only did Levi come, but it was such an unusual thing that other people came, other tax collectors, other things. Verse 30, here's always where the religious people sit, fall in. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them. Here's the calling, right? Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When's the last time you broke bread with somebody who was far from God? See, if you love the things that Jesus loves, if you go to places Jesus goes, then it's going to call us to engage in the lives of people. And I love this. Jesus says, man, I'm going to the house that's there. Our calling, if we really own to the calling what God has placed us to do, it's going to create in us the necessity to create opportunities, create spaces, that there's mutual respect, that there's mutual care, that there's an authenticity that happens. Jesus, all and over, over and over New Testament, right? he's spoken at temples. He spoken in large group settings like this, so It was fantastic. But he also walked along the road and sat with a woman at the well. He also told stories on the hillside of people in everyday life. And he also broke bread with sinners. You've heard the saying over and over, right? People don't, know, don't care how much you know until they know that you truly care. Right? That's Jesus modeling for us over and over. So he says to his disciples, I want you to learn more about the fish, Love what I love. Walk where I go. Let me give you some more insight on fishing. Uh, This is fascinating. Conversations, right, that they have. At the end of the conversations, this is how the people who we as the church have had conversations with, this is how they feel. (laughs) Look at it, fascinating. First three. I felt cared for. Ooh, I like this, 36%. Say, yeah, I felt cared for in that. Uh, A little imposed, 33%. Uh, Next one, I felt more positive towards Jesus, 30%. I felt heard, a little less, 28%, right? So we read the top three. And we're like, yes, we're doing great. Problem is, there's six of them. Uh, Next one, I wanted to hear more from this person. After the conversation with the church folk, they said, I've really heard enough. In fact, I don't really want to hear any more. I've heard plenty. Uh, Next one, I felt closer to the person in question. Now we're down to 25%. I want to know more about Jesus Christ. We're down to 23%. What makes this heartbreaking is the two people that we are trying to connect and draw them closer to, a relationship with us and a relationship with our Savior, are the two people that they are saying to us, I feel less inclined to do either one after a significant interaction with followers of Christ. Why is that? What have we missed to do that? Let me give you a couple thoughts on that today. Before I jump into that, let me just give you a little nuance uh, before I give you a principle. There There are times in our lives, when you just feel the the impression of the Holy Spirit on your heart, saying, man, you need to talk to this person, you need to share your faith with them, you need to share with them how they can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Man, in those moments, can I just tell you, if you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart and moving you, lean into that. Step forward in boldness and just go where the Lord's leading you in that thing. So lean in in those moments. Second little nuance. For some of you, you have the spiritual gift of evangelism. You have this wonderful ability to turn conversations towards spiritual things and at the end, lead people into a knowledge and a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a fascinating and wonderful gift that you have. Spiritual gifts research says that probably on the high end 10% and some would say on the high end 1%, folks actually have this spiritual gift that's listed in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, that kind of unique gifting So I wanna just remind you this. For all Christians, we all have the command and the calling to share Jesus with the world around us. Every one of us. We have the command and the calling. We're all called to do those things. But some of you have been uniquely gifted in this to do an incredible job, and it flows very easy, and God really uses it. If that's you today... Can I just encourage you, don't listen to a thing I say after this point. I mean, you just be you, and you just live your life. like I mean, just be the boldness and courageous. You go as God leads, and we're going to just tell you, we're going to cheer for you. We're going to celebrate you. So if that's your spiritual gift, I'm saying, man, you run, and we're with you. Use what God has uniquely gifted to us. For those of you who that may not be one of your top gifts and spiritual gifts there, I want to just teach you one principle this morning. That was a principle that was taught to me years ago that was really helpful, and it's simply the principle of supply and demand. We need to engage, person. we have a relationship, right? We need to engage them at the level of their demand. We need to discern a little bit, what's their level of spiritual interest at the moment? And I need to adjust my supply to fit the level of demand that the person is seeking, Right? Sometimes I'm with you, I get so excited, or I went to a conference, and like now I'm fired up, and I'm ready to go. And then I, I get a chance to share the gospel with somebody, and all of a sudden, listen, we talk too long. I certainly talk too fast, and I'm throwing out far more information than they ever want to know at this moment than the fish are even looking for. And then their eyes begin to glaze over, and they, if they're not careful, they feel like they've just been read a telemarketing script rather than having a conversation with somebody I care deeply about and want to let them know what's important in my life. Does that make sense that way? And so there's a little level of just that idea of discernment, relational intelligence, the ability to read body language that helps me supply at the level of the demand that's being asked for in that moment that's there. If you have to grab the arm, (laughs) you've got to grab the arm of the person uh, and you want to finish on your gospel presentation, you might be supplying a little bit more than they're demanding at this moment, right? So that's kind of there. But if we're not careful, right, you've been there, and they just had that glazed look like you lost them halfway through. I think part of that leads to those three statistical things that are a little discouraging. By the time they're done, they don't feel cared for. They just felt like we checked off a list as, as we did those kind of things. First Peter says this, all right, because we've, I think especially in people who have a relationship with there's a degree of patience. There's a degree of trusting God's timing, knowing that God is doing something in their heart that we may or may not even be aware of. First Peter three fifteen says it this way. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason, for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. It says do this with gentleness and respect. 2,000 years, The Bible's amazing. 2,000 years ago, it tells us exactly what research tells us in 2023, right? People want to feel a sense of gentleness and respect, and there's an openness to have these conversations, so we do it in that context. But we can't forget the very first part of the verse. What does it say? That we should be prepared to make a defense if anyone gives opportunity. And that's that first part of being prepared. And you know how it is. It's that wonderful moment when you're having a conversation with somebody. And you feel the spirit moving in your heart to just continue to take that next step of being open and you have the boldness to share. And you begin to kind of lead into this and all of a sudden you realize you have no idea how to start this conversation. certainly have no idea how to end it because we haven't been prepared of learning what kind of, I would just say an approach or what's our kind of our game plan on how to do that. Because if we don't, this is what we do. We get into spiritual comment. we're so excited. So we start with creation, of course. And then we're rolling through the flood. And then we're talking of more things. Somehow we're in the minor prophets. We're not sure how we got there. So we quickly eject to the New Testament. Now we're talking Jesus and the feeding of the 5,000 and all of our excitement, and we're not sure where to go. So we go back to tell the story of Jonah just to make sure they understand the Old Testament connects with the New Testament. And now we're in the book of Revelation. And by the time we're all done, you got any questions, great, let's pray, right? Because we had no clue how to get where we wanted to get to. And we certainly didn't know how to close the conversation. We just everything we knew we tried to throw out there. And so I want to encourage you there's some importance uh, of knowing that. What really helped me probably about 30 years ago was just committed to say, listen, if I'm going to be serious about this, I just have to know what I want to share. So if I'm not careful, I'm going to to confuse the gospel with a thousand other things rather than just really what's true is important. So I I committed uh, to memory just an approach. Now today... I don't use all the same words, but my wife will tell you. My first few years, what I'm gonna share with you, I shared this thing over, I've hundreds of times, uh, over and over, because it would just help me to know this is where I wanna go. And for me, what was really the most important, it was help me to know how to end. Because I would get to the end of all this and I didn't know how to wrap that up and so it was really helpful. So I just wanna share this with you as one thing, because the Bible says that we should be prepared. If you have a way that you share your faith, fantastic. If you're not sure, like, I'm not sure how to do this, Look, let me just give you a resource somebody gave me 30 years ago helped change my life when it comes to sharing my faith with people. I've put it in your notes at lexcity.info, wrote it all out for you there, it's there. If you're an audio visual learner, I give you a little link to a YouTube, it has it right there. If you're old school like me, uh, on this front row right down the front, I've got a little box of little tracks and I just took these and I just committed it to memory over and over. It helped me. Conversations. How do we get into it? Spirit leads. Let me give you a revised little version. Great little question. Has anybody ever shown you out of the Bible how you can know for sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven? No, never. Great. The Bible makes it pretty simple. The Bible tells us there's both good news and there's bad news. Good news begins with God and the bad news begins with man. The Bible says first bad news, Romans 6, uh, 3.23, for all of sin. Second bad news that comes in, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Listen, here's what we just need to understand. Since there's no way that man could ever be good enough to, to get to God, God in his infinite grace and love decided to come to man. And that's where the good news begins. Romans 5, 8, God demonstrates his love for us. Ba-ba-ba-ba, illustration that goes through that. The great news is this, not only does God love you, but God says you can have a relationship through him and through faith and trust. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 as we go. We roll through that. little booklet has two, two bad newses, two good newses, two verses, two illustrations as we go. But here's what was helpful for me. Here was the closing remark, because I got to this point and now how do I just finish up Here's just a great little question. Get through all that. Is there anything that's preventing you today from placing your trust in Jesus Christ? Balls in your court. You got questions? Great, now we can have questions. If you have concerns, now we can talk about those things. And it just gives room for the Holy Spirit to move. But what I knew is that got to the end that it just gave me a way to say, is there anything today that's preventing you from placing your faith in Jesus Christ? No, I don't Great, would you like to do that? We lead in prayer, or we answer the questions that we have. Remind you this. Remember, success is living the Christian life, sharing the gospel, and trusting God for the results. And the beauty is, is that we can trust the heart of God for the results of the sharing of the gospel. Because God loves your family, God loves your friends, God loves your coworkers even more than you love them all. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, The Lord is not, not slow to fulfill his promises, as some count slowness. But his patience towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but here's the key, but that all should reach repentance. That God loves the people in my life more than I love the people in my life. That God loves the people in your life more than you, and he desires all of them come to a relationship so you can trust the heart of God. I love the way Isaac Adams says, he simply says this, our job is to proclaim salvation, not produce it. We are called to deliver a message to people. God's the one who delivers people. From sin, So share your faith with boldness and trust God for the results. 65% of the people in your life already know that you're a person of faith because you live a life of integrity. The table has been set. So when you enter into a conversation about faith, they're not shocked and they're not surprised because they already know this about you. So be encouraged with that. Just be confident. Table set. Learn. Be prepared. Whatever way works for you, learn a way to be able to share the gospel in a clear, concise, and I say elevator. I did it with here. I can say that little, from ninth floor down to the first floor, we can have a conversation about the good news and bad news of the gospel and how it can change your life. But find a concise way to do that. At the end of it, just know how you're gonna reach the end. What's the question? How do we wrap it up? Rather than going to 16 other Sunday school stories. Have you ever come to a point? Would you like to know? If you died today and stood before God, would you have an Whatever that is, but have those moments. Here's the beauty of this series, right? We're trying to just encourage you and challenge you to get ready for the series. We're going to start in September, the Wilderness Series, which is really designed for you to be able to invite people to come in a non-threatening context and learn how God can meet them and God can grow them and God can change them in the wildernesses of their life. That's the end goal of where we're going. But it begins with you and I. Here's the great part about sharing your faith. The more we understand what Jesus has done for us, the more motivated, not out of guilt or shame, just out of love and response, the more we're motivated to be able to share this great news with other people. Jesus redeemed and changed my life. I'd love to share that with you. So we need to be reminded. So today, as we close out our service, we're gonna take communion together. It's time of the Lord's Supper. The Bible says it's a time of remembrance, right? But remember that we are people who have been changed and saved by this wonderful story of the gospel. So communion's that time, a time to remember. We we take the bread, which symbolizes Jesus' body that was broken on our behalf. That the creator of the universe allowed his creation to beat him, to spit on him to mock him in, hum- in humility, he endured out of his love for you. We take the cup, which represents his blood that was shed on our behalf, and the scriptures say again, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness for sins. When Jesus died on the cross, he fulfilled that Old Testament where they used to sacrifice animals for the payment of sin, and now Jesus says, I am your payment once and for all. So, when we drink the cup, we're reminded of Jesus' blood that was shed that you might have forgiveness. So, today, in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then our elders are going to come. There'll be different stations set up all around the room. Just want to invite you there's no rush. Come down. We'll take communion in groups of five or six. If you're in line, just wait. You'll come in just some time with just you and the Lord to remember, to reflect. But the more we were reminded what Jesus did for us, I hope the thing that resonates in your heart is I want to be able to share that with somebody else in my life. I've experienced a new sense of joy and purpose. I want you to be able to do that. And so as we take communion, and we have these moments, not only take time to remember what God has done for you, but can I encourage you to begin to pray for whoever God has put into your life. I'm sure for many of you, as I've been talking on this series today, the Holy Spirit's already brought a name, a coworker, a family member. They've already come to your mind. To just take time to pray for that. And you're sitting in your seats, pray for that seat, that row, in about three weeks. I've got friends I'm inviting that are coming. I hope you have the opportunity. Pray for who will sit in your seat over these next uh, months and se- uh, weeks in September that they might experience what you've experienced, which is the life changing power of Jesus in your life. So I'm going to pray. This time is yours. Take some moments, come down. Let's remember, let's reflect. Let's be grateful. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for what you modeled for us. What research and psychologists are saying are so significant today, you modeled for us so early on to just have compassion and care and gentleness with the world around us. But in that, that we'd have the courage and the preparation to be able to share wonderful life-changing truth that Jesus is who he says that he was and he did what he said that he would do. The gospel, the good news. So Lord, in our spheres of influence, may we just have courage. And we walk away today reminded that they already know there's something uniquely different about us. So let's just answer the question. This is why. God, all of that is motivated not out of obligation or ritual or checking off a box so we're a better Christian. God, it's motivated out of a heart that is grateful for what you've done for us. And so today, Lord, as we take the Lord's Supper, we're reminded of the sacrifice that you made on our behalf. Help us to live as a response To what you've done for us in our lives every day so lord we love you we give you this time in jesus name amen thank you for listening to the lex city church podcast if you would like to support ministries of lex city visit lexcity.church give please subscribe and follow us on social media at lex city church for more encouraging teachings and content